0: Welcome to
1: Dr. Waffle and Friends, a podcast where we share personal writing and then chat about it together.
0: And now, here's Tanya with the reading
1: Irrational Fear of Spoilers. I have an irrational fear of spoilers. This is immediately apparent to anyone who mentions a movie or TV show in my presence. I urgently interrupt. Don't tell me what happens. A reflexive attempt to shield myself from information I do not want to hear. My friend Heather says, I know, Tanya. Trust me. I'm not going to give anything away. As if I'm just being paranoid. But even after I ask people not to tell me, they say things like, Oh, it's okay. I'm not that far into the series. I'm just up to a few episodes after Michael dies. I didn't know Michael dies. People tell me things that happen, followed by a justification that they didn't tell me anything significant. But they have no idea. I love watching a story unfold. I love an unexpected turn, an ending I didn't foresee. I don't want to think about the movie. I want to experience it. But when I'm aware of what's coming, it's on my mind and I am not fully present. Instead, I am both watching what's on the screen and at the same time peeking around the corner with my imagination, anticipating the thing I know will happen. A friend of mine, who is aware of my aversion to such reveals, mentioned that a movie I was on my way to see is violent toward the end.
0: She didn't
1: mean to ruin it for me, didn't mean for me to have only half my attention in the story and half wondering when the violence would occur— didn't mean to dampen the impact when it did. But you see, spoilers actually do spoil the experience for me. This makes it difficult for me to read movie reviews, as they almost invariably divulge more about the plot than I want to know. So after my mother moved to Santa Barbara, it became her job to select movies for us to see together, And this worked very well. My mother picked good movies. She took up the task with the dedication of a primary investigator on a research project, combing reviews in the multiple newspapers she read daily. And I was happy for her to do it. Although, there was the one time I regressed to, I can do it myself, petulant five-year-old mode, and insisted on picking the movie. I ended up hating Gone Girl all the more because I was sitting next to my mom, who I know would have made a better choice. After that, I always deferred to her. My mom didn't mind if the reviews revealed key plot points. She thrived on information. Knowledge was her currency, which she gathered voraciously and dispensed generously, but She understood this thing about me and spoilers, and so she held her tongue. And after the movie, she could share all the analyses she had read, sometimes later handing me clipped articles that explained finer details, like the meaning of the Mahjong game in Crazy Rich Asians. One of the last movies we saw together was The Wife. I know this for sure because I can't bear to delete the voicemail where she announced the movie selection, where her voice is clear and upbeat, each word enunciated with precision. Hi, Tanya. I've looked over the movies that we'll be showing, and I'd still put The Wife as my first choice. The second would be the new Michael Moore, which is called Fahrenheit 11 Less than a month later is another voicemail, this one with a dampened tone, informing me she was feeling tired and pressed for time, and was going to pass on A Star is Born, which she had picked. I, too, was pressed for time, so I skipped it, until two weeks later, when I insisted we go, despite her initial protests, said it would help to take her mind off the anxiety she was feeling. As always, I held her hand walking into the theater to make sure she didn't fall. My sister would never forgive me if I let my mom fall. But two days later, she did fall. Not her petite body, but her colossal mind. An acute spiral such that four days after the onset of the paranoid delusions, she couldn't be left alone. My Stanford and Harvard-educated mother could not dress herself, and the months that followed brought a complete psychotic break, cycling in and out of delusion and in and out of hospice. The not knowing what was going to happen was torture for me. I readied myself for my mother's death. Then, for her need for long-term care, Then, for death again, for recovery, for the unsteady path of dementia. The lack of predictability was maddening. Yesterday, she was catatonic in bed all day. Today, she's up and walking around. It was nerve-wracking, simultaneously buttressing my mom's upswings and preparing for her to die. I so desperately wanted to know what to expect, to have some idea what would ensue, how it would unfold, what the ending would look like. I craved a clear diagnosis, a hint of what would follow. It was the one time when I really, really wanted a spoiler. But just as I'd always demanded, My mother did not tell me what was going to happen.
0: Thank you, Tanya.
1: How are you? I am doing okay. You know, it's always a little emotional reading that piece.
0: Exactly, yeah. It's another one about your mom and about the emotions stirred up around her illness at the end, etc. So, yeah. That's actually kind of where I wanted to start is to say, or to ask rather, whether you felt like, because you wrote this one first, this one you've writ- you have written, you wrote a while back, right. and it had always been about your mother. And then when you wrote the most recent one about uh, Birth of a Swifty, that was another piece about your mom. So you're actually re- presenting them in the opposite order in which you wrote them. Um, which, how far Which part- is, ironically,
1: uh, last- Last week's was, or last, the last episode, uh, the one Birth of a Swifty was a spoiler for Irrational Fear of Spoilers. Actually.
0: Exactly. It was indeed. Yes. Although I kind of feel like this spoiler thing has come up multiple times now in different episodes because uh, it, it does come up for you since every time I mention a TV show or something that you because haven't seen, I completely freak out <laughs> <Yes>. about spoilers. <laughs> exactly. Um, but before we dive into the spoiler part, which about yes. which I'm fascinated and I have lots of questions. Um, uh, yeah, I wanted to just ask you a little bit about the writing process in terms of of writing these pieces about your mom. Since you wrote this one earlier, did you notice, going back to it and reading it through again and recording it, did you notice any ways in which your thoughts have changed about the writing process, per se? In other words, the the sort of phenomenon of writing about something like grief, um, did that change for you at all? Or do you notice any, any differences or any evolution or anything like that? Well, maybe
1: I'll frame it first by talking a little bit about like where things were when I wrote this piece. Um, Mm -hmm. So as I often do, I wrote this piece um, in response to a call for submissions uh, for personal stories, which is a thing in Santa Barbara where we perform memoir pieces. But it had occurred to me when I was actually in the hospital with my mom um, during one of the Really, many trips to the emergency room that we made while she was uh, ill. She, had, you know, she had dementia for the last few years of her life, and she had this very precipitous decline in her cognitive capacity. And so mm-hmm. it was, so it really just came out of nowhere, and it was so distressing. Really, the whole not knowing what was going to happen, not having any idea, really, even what was happening half the time. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it when I was in the hospital with her one day about how I really wanted to know, but I but I never would let her tell me anything about spoilers. And we talked about it a lot because we would go see movies. And so the idea had come up for me sort of just in vivo when I was experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote this piece in, gosh, I guess it was something like May of 2020, mm-hmm. which was so soon into the pandemic and everything was just kind of crazy in the world, but it had weirdly quieted down a little bit for me with my care for my mother because I couldn't see her. Um, She had people taking care of her. She was in assisted living, but then there was this call for submissions for personal stories. And so I, so I wrote this piece and it, it was almost like the quiet that I was experiencing in the pandemic kind of gave me the first space that I had had in a year and a half to process at all what was going on. Mm -hmm. So that's really kind of where it came from. I don't Mm -hmm. think I've answered your question, but that's a little bit of the context.
0: (laughs) Well, it does does answer my question indirectly that, you know, that you, this was more of a writing in the moment kind of a thing or, or mm-hmm. something much more immediate as opposed to the birth of a Swifty where you are reflecting back on something, you know, the death of your mom from a distance, right? Or at least a little right. bit of a distance, not, mm-hmm. you know, a year or two is not a lot mm-hmm. of distance. But um, yeah, so that's interesting. The, I I feel like I relate to that experience because I, when I started writing the Dr. Waffle things, I had no idea that I was gonna spend so much time talking about my parents. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't meant to be that. I thought, oh, I've been in therapy for a billion years. I've processed everything about my folks and, you know, my sort of crappy childhood. (laughs) And then the fact that they were gone, I think, liberated me in some way to think about and of course it's a very different situation. You were you were liberated to to process and think about your mother in a but you had a very loving relationship with her and it wasn't Mm -hmm. for me it was more like a lot of stuff came up that i wasn't conscious about or that i i felt free to kind of think about or talk about stuff with my parents that i wouldn't have done when they were alive even though they never would have read dr waffle because because part of the issue is they had no interest in me whatsoever so they, oh. they never would have read my blog yeah well maybe I, maybe my dad would have but anyway yeah I,
1: I totally get that because, trust me, there's also, you know, more challenging things in my relationship with my mom. But Mm -hmm. um, certainly what I was dealing with in in those last several years was so much about, uh, you know, what had gone on with her illness and caring for her and whatnot. But. Interestingly, when she got dementia and stopped coming to my performances, because she, you know, lived here in Santa Barbara for mm-hmm. um, a decade before she was ill, oh, and so I didn't yeah. realize it was that
0: long. Okay,
1: right. So she would come to my performances, and she, she said, "It's so interesting. I learned so much about you when I see you <laughs> <to> perform. <laughs> it's just like all kinds of stuff that I had, you know, never told her in stories and things. Great. But when she." got dementia and I realized she wasn't gonna come anymore. I started telling stories that I started telling stories that I realized she might not have wanted to hear, that might have been upsetting to her about Mm -hmm. stuff. And so I wouldn't have done that if I had thought she might hear them. Yeah. So yeah, there's there was something weirdly freeing about that. And I certainly wouldn't have written about her in the Mm -hmm. way that I did if I thought she would hear it.
0: Yeah. I think it's kind of a cliche to say that when a parent dies, we step into that role that, you know, not necessarily, like, I'm not a mom, but, you know, we step into like a place that they occupied that wasn't open before, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's something about being, I get what did Freud say something about like, a man doesn't become a man until his father's dead or something bizarre like that, but not bizarre. I mean, understandable from a <laughs> late Victorian perspective. Um, but yeah, I think it's a similar kind of phenomenon where you. I think it's partly about not wanting to hurt the feelings of the person who may or may not read or be interested in or, or come across what you have to say about them in in a public form, but more just like you, you aren't even free to kind of think those thoughts, right, um, fully until mm-hmm. they're gone, until you kind of have a distance on the relationship.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I was also just thinking like how – concerning it might be to be a parent of a memoirist
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly like, like who knows what you know what will be said about me <laughs> yeah yeah it, okay now i'm gonna go back to taylor swift because i am of sure. course still obsessed with taylor swift but of course um I don't know if you heard this news so I don't know if this is a spoiler for you but she and Joe Alwyn who she had been with for a number of years they split up recently. I and, did see
0: that cuz apparently yes. it's big news. <laughs> it's huge news. It, it, it penetrated even my little New York Times Washington Post sphere.
1: <laughs> yeah. And one of the things that people always say about like being in a relationship with Taylor Swift is oh my gosh what kinds of songs is mm-hmm. she going to write about mm-hmm. this person you know right. so yeah so I think that if you are with a memoirist, whether it is, you know, someone who's writing songs or stories, I guess that there's always that well, you know, Scott shows up in your stories a lot. So sure. I don't know how yeah. he feels about that.
0: Yeah, and a lot of my friends do. And sometimes I use their real names and sometimes I use their initials or whatever. And I I've I've never really ever asked anybody if that was okay. I mean, I when when there's something sensitive, I either completely change the details or make up a fake name or whatever. But just kind of rand like like the walking essay, you know, that was about mm-hmm. uh, walking with Wendy and Joel. And, you know, they appear in it and they they talk and they say things and have opinions. And I never really asked them if it was okay for me to do that, um, which I probably should, I guess. I, it just seemed like I feel like I know them and I know that that wouldn't bother them. And Wendy is also a fiction and essay writer and Joel's a poet. So they also write things in which people appear in various guises in their work. But, yeah, there's a... um. Uh, David Sedaris has an essay, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's about, well, he writes a lot about how, you know, his, because his essays are about his family. That's 90% of what he writes about is this incredibly personal, private stuff about his, his siblings and his parents growing up, but then also their ongoing lives too. And he has this really wonderful essay about how one day, I think they were thinking about making a TV show or a movie about him and his family and uh, I guess I infer from the essay that his siblings were not crazy about the idea, but that he was really kind of pushing to go ahead with it anyway. And then he makes this decision not to do it. And that's why that TV show and movie net doesn't exist. It's, cause he, it's like one of the few times when he really listened to them was like, no. But it's a really beautiful essay. It's like, it's really, really well done. Yeah. So I guess we are freer to write about people who aren't around or who are gone for whatever reason, including people that we're estranged from or that we just, you know, like Eleanor Hunt, I don't know if she I don't know where she is. I have no relationship with her. I'm just gonna use her name, <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah i yeah. I do actually let people see if
1: i if I'm gonna be sharing a story publicly. I do actually let them see it beforehand, yeah. and uh, in one case, there was someone who did want me to change their name i i I didn't say like I'm not gonna do it or like I'll take right. you out, but um, but I said if you want, I can change your name,
0: yeah. So. Yeah. Changing the name seems fair because that's like it could be anybody unless there's identifying details where anybody could tell. Aside from like the person I'm married to, which is pretty obvious, there's only one of them. For now, (laughs) we may decide to start a commune or something. You know, free love. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, um, okay. So let's dive into the spoilers themselves now. This is like I've been waiting a long time for this (laughs) for this essay because I am completely fascinated. I feel like so. I'll just start off by saying where I'm coming from in my questioning about this is I am a, I would say I'm a medium spoiler person. Like I'm not completely irrationally <laughs> terrified or averse to them, but I don't like them. I mean, I certainly don't want anybody to spoil major plot points, but like something mild happened, you know, like somebody says something that indicates that, something like the example you gave in your essay, that there's some violence toward the end of a movie or that, you know, partway through you discover something. If somebody says something like you learn something big about the main character, like that kind of thing doesn't bother me. But it sounds like that would bother you, like even that much information, knowing that you learn something, you know, if I were to say to you like, oh, you know, partway through this movie, you're going to there's going to be like a twist, even just knowing that there is a twist would be enough to mm-hmm. distract you. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It would, so I'm going to give an example from this okay. past week of how extreme this is. So okay. Matt and I are watching all of the Marvel Comics universe uh, movies and shows. Bless like your order. heart. I, well, I've, I've never seen any of them. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I wasn't even aware that this universe existed, except mm-hmm. I, I did see Black Panther, but I had literally no idea that that was part of a series. <laughs>
0: I I mean, actually didn't know Black Panther was part of the Marvel universe. So there you go. Um Well it is. <laughs> yeah. So I do not want to know what all the things are that
1: I haven't seen because they will tell me something about like if there's you know, if there's like another Iron Man movie, then I guess Iron Man doesn't die in this movie. You know, it's like right. like Anything like that, I just, I just don't want to know because it will get like lodged in my head and it right. will be, it, it'll just, it'll be distracting. Right. Um, and so, last weekend I was telling you I was down in LA. I was actually. Um, narrating my, uh, the audiobook for Beyond Your Bubble. Um, mm-hmm. and I, wa- I was walking around and there was this huge billboard for, there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which is also mm-hmm. part of the universe. And I was like, yeah. no, <laughs> no, I know that that's coming up. So, I mean, for the most part, I can avoid knowing things, but every so often it just gets thrown into my path
0: and sure. then there's, there's nothing that can be done. But, um, yeah, there's not much you can do about avoiding, even the, the information that there is another movie. Like, that's just something that, you know... Well, it, it's
1: sort of yeah. remarkable how oblivious I am to most of what's going on mm-hmm. in popular culture in the mm-hmm. world. So mm-hmm. I, I can avoid
0: a lot. Right. I want to comfort you by saying you do not need to worry about spoilers, even of that kind with the Marvel Universe, because it's completely incoherent. The one thing I do <laughs> know about it is that characters die, they come back, with other I mean like it's it's all over the place like they they ignore continuity a, a lot of the time I think it's like a thing that people complain about so knowing that there's another movie or not of something actually gives you no information whatsoever in that particular universe so you can probably relax about that <laughs> a little bit like in uh, other words Iron Man might. I, I I have no idea. I know nothing about Marvel. So anything now I'm, I'm saying terrified right now, just even yeah.
1: having this conversation with yeah. you. I see, have,
0: I, I, I have I, zero information. I, I can't spoil anything. I promise. I know nothing about it. I'm just. But let's say like character X might die in a movie. There could still be another movie with called yeah. character X. And
1: and see, you do not even know that. Just what you shared with me, like about like how it's incoherent and someone can die and come back. I'm like, I didn't even want to know that. Like mm. I just. Yeah. I I don't even want to sort of think about and speculate about things um, mm-hmm. because then I've just got this little, you know, thing running in my mind about it. I just really so much prefer to, for it to unfold. And in fact, okay, this is also... <laughs> This comes into play with my teaching because I assume that, of course, everybody else is the same that, as I am, that nobody wants anything spoiled. I will not share my PowerPoint slides with students before the lecture. I'll only share them after the lecture because I actually like for things to unfold. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll have little surprises in the lecture and I don't want them to know that. So I I think about it sort of from both the storytelling
0: angle and the story receiving angle. Right. Okay, that's really interesting. I also did not like sharing my PowerPoint slides with my students because, at all, I I gave in. Like, starting about a year ago, I did start putting up the PDFs of my lectures after. And I do, like, the whole week's lectures on Friday so that they're all lectures I've already given, just like you said. Mm -hmm. I don't like doing it because I I don't want them... to to encourage them or even enable them to think that that's a substitute for coming to the lecture. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. students really do think like, Oh, well I've got the slides. So I've got all the, it's just such a pale version of what the lecture is. I put up very sketchy bullet pointy things or sometimes a block quotation because it's easier to see the quotation while I'm reading it to to process and, and hear it, or I'll put up images or whatever, but it's not the lecture itself. So I, yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, that's a sort the re- of a side. One note, of the but...
1: reasons that I do it is because sometimes and now we'll now we'll have a whole thing about our pedagogy, but um, <laughs> uh, when there's something that's up there that's like a lot to write down, if yeah. students know that they'll that they'll have the slides, they will right. fo- they will actually focus on what I'm saying. Exactly and not on trying to get down all the stuff that's yes. on the slides. Yes. Basically exactly. we both want students to pay attention to what we're
0: saying. Exactly. Which, you know, who who knows? <laughs> who knows what is the best way to accomplish that feat. <laughs> I guess going back in time and getting rid of the internet and smartphones, I don't know, that might help. <laughs> But then we wouldn't be able to do this. No, that's true. That is a very good point. There would be no podcasts, which would be sad. Mm. Um okay, so all right, now I'm gonna I'm going to push you further here. I'm gonna I wanna oh, dig a great. little deeper. Okay, okay, and go. I want to know why. Like I want more about why you think. So I get the thing about like the narrative pleasure or feeling that like something is being taken away from you. You don't want to be distracted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to be thinking about worrying about what's happening next or whatever, but what is it you, do you think about that? In other words, why does that happen to you? Or why do you think that that's, is it a control thing or a lack of control thing? Is it a, I mean, I think it's interesting to think about the, um, you know, the comparison that you make in the essay about wanting the situation, which you want to know what's going to happen. You want to know what was going to happen with your mom and how it was going to unfold because that gives us a sense of control or that. You know, information is power, or whatever. Knowing the future, if we could know the future, we would be able to prepare for it, or whatever. So, why is it then different? In other words, why is it some situations you want to have control and knowledge and understanding, and others you want to like give yourself over to not being in control? I'm just wondering, like, what yeah. you think the I think it's very it
1: interesting. I mean, you're you're sort of assuming that there's a control aspect to it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like with my mom's illness. I had no idea how to prepare myself and whatever we would need to prepare for. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just very hard making any decisions. There was like not any information to make decisions. So maybe that's control, but it's not. Exactly. Like, it did feel very out of control, but um, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily have described it as I wanted the information so I could have some control. It was more like I wanted some information because I had no way to make decisions about anything, and mm-hmm. that was very hard. But in terms of spoilers, I feel like if I am – if I'm going to experience some sort of, you know, art – It really is a thing where I want to be in it. And it's very hard to turn my brain off. Mm. So my brain's always figuring stuff. This is what it is. My brain is always trying to figure stuff out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I'm always planning, solving. Like I'm always doing that. And so I don't want to be doing that. Mm -hmm. If I'm watching a play or a movie, I just want to... I want to be in it. I want to... Mm. Oh, and I love experiences. That's part of what it is. Um, it's Okay, so now I'm going to go back
0: to Taylor Swift again. <laughs> I always will. She, well, um, I mean, she's, she's your lodestar. <laughs> is that, uh, yeah, that metaphor? Yeah. I,
1: she's on tour right now. Mm-hmm. And so all of my TikTok is filled up with people talking about the Taylor Swift tour. And several people have asked me... Are you watching things about the Taylor Swift tour? Because I bought tickets for the closing night of the tour. So mm-hmm. every single thing that's going to happen with the tour will have happened <laughs> before right. that. Right. And so people are like, Are you watching these videos because they're actually showing things that happen that she's doing right. on the tour? Right. Like, Do you want to know the songs and stuff? And I was like, Yes, I decided that I'm going to watch these. And they're like, How could you do that? But you yeah. hate spoilers. Like, so. The thing for me about that is I know that the experience of being there is going to be so overwhelming. Mm. There's going to be so much happening with everything that she's doing, everything. I mean, it seems like there's all kinds of technology stuff that will happen. Mm -hmm. And then it's just being there with the other people who are experiencing it, which I'm really excited about Mm because everybody's, you know, like making bracelets to share and I mean, all kinds of stuff that's just remarkable. So I have no question that the experience of that will be new, will Mm -hmm. unfold for me. And that if I Didn't have any knowledge of what was going to happen. There's no way I could take it all in. Oh, the Mm. same thing happened with Hamilton. Mm. So Mm -hmm. Hamilton, I actually, oh my gosh, so much before I saw the play. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, listened to it. I had literally memorized Hamilton. I had read the book that the play was based on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had like Mm -hmm. done everything background before I actually saw it. And it was still an overwhelming experience. And I knew that it would be because I knew that there would be so much more than just what was there. So I I guess what I'm discovering through your inquiry is that (laughs) there are exceptions to that, but so much of it is about what the experience is going to be like. And will will I be able to immerse myself fully in the experience?
0: Right. Well, it also sounds like a common denominator, two common denominators is first of all, music. And second of all, a concert isn't is not about plot, right? So, what per, maybe particularly worry about being spoiled is knowing what's going to happen, like at the plot level. So, as whereas a concert might have a kind of a narrative arc to it, or events that unfold, or whatever, it's not. You're not losing anything, and I would say the same thing with a musical. I mean, a musical is not about the plot, right? I mean, these also Hamilton's based on historical events. I would say maybe like an, another analogy would be like Jesus Christ Superstar, where it's like you're not going to Jesus Christ Superstar to see what happens to Jesus, right? <laughs> like, right? You're going because you like, and even if you already have the album memorized, as I do, um, you know you're going to enjoy it because it's a musical experience. So maybe that's why it's different than say like a a TV series or something like that, where you really don't want to know what happens at the level of plot. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have to tell you, speaking of TV shows, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to tell you this story without even, without even hinting at anything. I'm, all right. So I'm not even going to tell you what the TV show is. I'm just going to say okay, there great. is a TV show. Okay. Will that be okay? <laughs> uh, I t- don't know. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait there. What's TV? Has TV been... <laughs> don't spoil it for me. <laughs> okay. There's a TV show that something happens and everybody's been talking about it and I don't want to know what it, what, what it was, right? So mm-hmm. that's like the level of generality I'm going to keep Great. at And so I was at a conference a couple weeks ago and someone in the Q&A raised their hand and was ta- asking some long-winded question or whatever and, you know, an academic conference <laughs> type question. And... Um, and then decided to use as an example, like, oh, it's all like, insert name oh, of TV no. show here. And how we all, oh, we're talking about like the communal um, reception of of plots or whatever. And this person said, it's it's just like TV show X, where we are all shocked and in, in experiencing that event that just happened. They didn't mm-hmm. say the event. They just said the mm-hmm. event, right? And this is a pretty big panel. There's like a bunch of people in there. I screamed out from the back of the room, no, yes. <laughs> like involuntarily. And everyone turned around and looked at me and I said, and I kept going. I was like, no, 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 no. It's really upset because it felt like, and I, I think they really were going to go on to say what the event was because their point was like, oh, you know, that way that we all know that big thing that just happened. Oh so, you know, eventually everybody kind of laughed a little bit. And then I, felt compelled to ask a question myself. So just so that I could explain why I had said no like that, (laughs) um, even though I didn't really have a question. But um, so I I felt your pain in that moment. I remember thinking, I have to tell Tanya about this because it was one of these, normally I'm not that agitated about it, but this was pretty big. Yeah. And it felt also like, I feel like the last time we talked about spoilers, maybe it was during the Taylor Swift um, podcast episode. I can't remember. But I, I was, I jokingly said to you, oh, I think it was about Mad Men, right? And I said, look, we need to have like, you know, you got like five years, let's say, <laughs> before, you know, you just have to like give it up and that you're going to, you're going to be spoiled eventually. Um, and so it does feel like there, there are rules, but nobody knows what they are, kind of like, it definitely felt like outrageously inconsiderate to say, because the, the episode in question had aired like a week before. Right. right. That we're talking about. So I was like, that is just not cool. Like everybody knows you don't. A week is not long enough. Is a month long enough? Is a year long enough? You know, it's like there are, it feels like there should be rules, but, and we all kind of know we have a sent, felt sense maybe, or I do anyway, a felt sense of when it's wrong or okay to, to give a spoiler. But I, I feel like we should just codify it. I feel like, you know, we should all get together as a culture and say you have this long. Okay. Now I feel like this is like
1: pandemic precautions. Okay. Because with COVID, like Mm -hmm. at this point with COVID, I feel like it is so all over the place. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, some people are hugging, some people are shaking hands, some people are fist bumping, some people are wearing masks, some people, it's just like, it's all over the place. Right. And what I always think is, well, what you do is you ask, you know, you see what someone's comfortable with. Right. And you go with the the safest common denominator, you know, or mm-hmm. like the safest thing. So, I feel like with spoilers, I don't know that we're all going to agree on it because some people, you know, really couldn't care less if you spoil something for them, and some people. Right. I think you were talking about somebody who like must know the ending. Yes,
0: yes, to, yeah. I have, I have a friend who cannot read a novel without knowing how it ends because because it, it and it feels like it's almost kind of a similar. Like the flip side of your issue, she can't relax and enjoy it if she's worrying about or wondering what's going to happen. So it's almost kind of the same issue, but just a different manifestation of it where she can't Mm -hmm. give herself over to it. Kind of like you were saying, like her brain is working all the time. She's going to be trying to figure it out. She can relax if she knows what Mm -hmm. it is and then just watch the thing unfold and enjoy it on that level. Right.
1: It occurs to me that there is a thing that I do... There are variations on a speech that I give that it, um, is called, all I need to know about, like, fill in the blank. I learned from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: And I actually give away the entire series. Sure. like. The ending, like the very final episode, here's what happens. Yeah. But I always tell people I have a big spoiler alert that I do before that. And I say, if you don't want me to ruin the whole thing, like leave the room now. Right. Often people do. People just, like, leave. And I'm like, great. Like that's, yeah. like, that's what I told you to do. And I was thinking about that conference that you're talking about. I wouldn't have stuck around to ask a question.
0: I literally would have covered my ears and run out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> just okay. Well, I feel like my screaming no in the middle of their question was enough. <laughs> I think they got it. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was it was bad. I have to say it was pretty bad. I was, I was actually angry. You know, I was like, this is not cool. This is like we're... You know, we're not allowed to do this to each other. (laughs) But the whole question of etiquette. So something you just said now um, was I thought was really interesting and it kind of sparked a memory. Um, Scott and I had a kind of a dumb disagreement where I was like, why are we disagreeing about this? It's like one of those weird ones where like a couple nights ago I was like brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed. And I was just having this thought about how back in the day, up until fairly recently, there was a more centralized codified I mean I guess for lack of a better word etiquette that people kind of knew to follow and had internalized it it wasn't so much that everybody followed the rules all the time but when they didn't you could point to a rule you could point to like Emily Post or Miss Manners or there was just Mm -hmm. a kind of like no you don't do that that's not done right and that is just gone like I still read Miss Manners. I love her. I think she's like brilliant and hilarious and funny, whatever. But there, it's not like there's any kind of consensus anymore at all. And I think the internet blew that apart. Like nobody knows how to behave anymore socially, right? It's 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 like the Wild West. It is now completely acceptable to show up 30 minutes late for something as long as you text ahead of time, right? Or or live blog your your lateness, right? Like I mean, I do it, but I I do it because other people started doing it first. And then I was just like, well, I'm just, you know, there's no point in worrying about showing up for a a drink with a friend or whatever. Uh, I mean, I'm always pretty much on time, but people, I'm I'm 15 minutes late. I'm 20 minutes late. And you'll get the text. And you're like, but that doesn't (laughs) thank you for the text, but you're still late, you know? So Mm. I was thinking about this and I said this to Scott and he like, um, he sort of reacted in a way that I wasn't expecting. He was like, I guess he thought I was saying something like fascism was better or something. I don't know what, he, like under Mussolini the trains ran on time or something. Because he re, he reacted by saying something like, "Well, you know, things are are freer now and and more open, and people are they're not hide bound by conventions that and these rules that were mostly kind of imposed on people from on high." Uh, through like a way of kind of policing social class or whatever. And I was like, Whoa, I didn't even expect us to go there, but this is now making me think, okay. Mm-hmm. So the spoiler thing, if your idea is, as you just suggested, we should all check in with each other, right? We can simply ask this. Of course, this is like, makes sense coming from a sexuality educator, right? <laughs> it's just like, let's like, <laughs> let, let's check in with each consent. other. And ask. It's about consent. About consent. Exactly. Um, and that if that's like the master rule, if you will, or like that's the one the one rule to rule all the other rules, whatever the Lord of the Rings thing is, and that's not a spoiler, by the way, I think that's like the subtitle, um, is just to ask, right, that we're now acknowledging that we live in a society in which those deeply internalized codes of conduct just don't pertain anymore. And so the new rule, the new master rule is to check in and to, to ask people individually what they want. I mean, it seems to make sense, right, that that's what you're saying about spoilers. Well,
1: I would say that those rules that existed were not made by everyone. And No, of course. That's Scott's point, everyone. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. I, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I totally understand Scott's mm-hmm. point because yeah. the question with rules is always who gets to make them. Sure.
0: Yeah. So absolutely. if
1: anyone's making a rule about spoilers, I mean, you know, it's not taking into account just individual differences. Some people really want to know. Some mm-hmm. people really don't want to know. I apparently am a spoiler snowflake, you know, like, right. like <laughs> spoilers are very upsetting to me and I don't want to hear them. Like I can handle a microaggression. I'm used to dealing with those all the time. <laughs> but my gosh, don't make me confront a spoiler. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think it's it's an interesting question of is there something wrong with some people's approaches to spoilers? You know, mm-hmm. like like I felt like you were a little bit pathologizing me, you know, by saying it's all about control. And I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And as your friend, you know, who always wants to know, is that a like is that a problem? Is mine a problem? I mean, mine is probably more of a problem because it affects all the people around me who want to just freely talk about stuff.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: right. um, although I actually find it like it's it's almost like when people are very considerate about it because they know i feel so seen i'm like right. oh thank you you know it feels comfortable like i can relax around them and i mm-hmm. don't have to be on guard for the spoilers all the time so yeah it would probably be a little bit better for me in my life and um, in my friendships to be a little bit more resilient about mm. hearing spoilers um mm-hmm. So I'll have to think about that. I'll have to think about, is there is there something I want to work on? And, you know, one thing it could be is, like, do I want to quiet my mind a little bit more so mm-hmm. that when I am uh, watching something and I know something about what's going to happen, I can still just be more in the experience of it. But mm-hmm. I don't know.
0: Okay. So this is getting pretty deep here. So, <laughs> so, okay, first of all, I think it's it interesting that my saying – asking if it was about control, because I don't think I said that. I think I asked you, do you think it's a control thing? But it's interesting. I don't think that's pathologizing at all. Like, I think people need and want and desire control in various areas of their lives, and there's nothing like problematic about it. In fact, I feel like it's just like acknowledging that you want or need or desire to understand and get mastery over something is like, I didn't mean to imply it was a pathology because for me that has zero value judgment to it. Mm-hmm. It's just like a, a thing, you know, like I'm, I'm a control freak and I, so I, I definitely tend not to pathologize people wanting control over things. I, that feels normal and natural to me. But I also mm-hmm. recognize that it's not as important to other people um, who are more like, ah, let's just go with the flow or whatever. So I think that's really interesting. But the, the second thing you said was um, – this is actually going to be my next question, but you anticipated it, which is to say the thing that struck me the most about your essay wasn't necessarily about the fear of spoilers per se, but about you start by talking about how upset it makes you when people ignore your request about this, right? Mm. So it seems like it's mu- it is much more about, about yeah, feeling seen, feeling understood. If you say something specifically to a friend, this is, I really ask that you not do this, and then they... And, and you know, granted, I mean, sometimes it takes a while for people to understand exactly what you mean, right? Like, right. They, they need to know the extent of your spoiler aversion right. <laughs> in order to actually fully appreciate that, the, you know, what they can and can't say. So that, that really struck me. I thought that was a really interesting part of the essay, the way you talk at the beginning about how uh, this really bothers you when people don't honor your request. So I, I was wondering if you wanted to say a little bit more about that, about, like... Well, it's like a boundary violation, then. I mean, I think that's a great
1: observation. Yeah, I think that that's. I mean, when we're talking about consent, it sort of feels like, yeah, that it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of like that. It's mm. it's like I've said, oh, I don't want to hear. No, it's just remarkable because I will say, I don't want to hear that. And then people really will come back yes. with, oh, no, but it's just this. And yes. and they will exactly the thing that I didn't want. Yes. Um. So I think it's it. There is something there about like people dismissing this boundary that I've set in this request that I've put out. And when I've said, no, I really don't want to. And they do it anyway. It's like, mm. Oh, really? And honestly, like my mom did not always get everything about me, but she really got this. Yeah. And it felt like a very caring thing for mm. her mm-hmm. to not spoil things for me, even though yeah. she wanted to know everything about stuff before I went to see it. And in fact, I, I have so much trouble now figuring out which movies to watch because I don't have anyone doing that for me right now. So listeners, if someone would like to be my movie screener and recommend (laughs) movies for me and get to know my taste without spoiling them, that would be fantastic.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That would be we could we should have like a service or like a professional service or there could be like a kind of a questionnaire where you say the degree of spoiling that you, you know, can accept or don't want to accept whatever, like a whole kind of different kinds of parameters. Yeah. I think this is this is what's striking me that it's really about is that and as you were talking about it and describing that phenomenon of of you telling your friends not to spoil something or a situation in which somebody just keeps on going i felt like i felt this visceral response like this actual like, kind of illness kind of feeling in my stomach you know like it's so um Telling somebody you don't want something and then having them just go ahead and ha-ha, jokingly, ha-ha, teasingly, ha-ha, do it anyway, it's mm-hmm. really, really upsetting. It's really yeah. upsetting. I feel like I've I've done it probably most of us, all of us have done that too. Like from the other side, I'm trying to understand like what it's like to be the person continuing to do that. It's like sometimes it's hard to hear or believe the other person fully or you're, maybe you're even testing them, you know, like do you, how much do you really mean this or – I remember years ago, I was. um, uh, I went to see a therapist who wasn't. It was like I was in a shopping phase, right? So I went to see a couple different therapists, and this was somebody I didn't actually end up seeing. But she said something in that one session I had with her that I've always remembered, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) Um, She said something about teasing. She said. I said something about how, like, oh, a friend was just teasing me about this. And she's, like, teasing in what way? And she was real. And she, like, stopped me. And she's, like, I need to know exactly what you mean. And so I described it for her. And I said, yeah, I was just teasing. And she said, teasing is always aggressive. And I was, like, what? And I was, like, and she said, it's always aggression. And and she was really adamant about it. And I was, like, oh, well, okay. And I, I was, like, but sometimes it's funny or sometimes, like, isn't there a way to affectionately tease somebody? She's, like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know that I agree with her a hundred percent because I definitely feel like sometimes if I'm teasing a friend, I feel like, and, and if it's a close friend and we know what it's about, right? It's like I'm teasing them about something that is a f- like I like about them, right? Like I mm-hmm. feel like that's the one instance in which it's okay to tease somebody. If it's like, you know, if somebody's like, I, I'm trying to think of an example, but like. Um, somebody's a great cook or something and you tease them about like you know how much how much energy they put into their baking or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. and it's making them feel good like you can tell there's a way to tease somebody about something about them that they like about themselves too mm-hmm. that's like then you're like kind of in this like vibrational thing where you're like in synchrony with each other it's like you're affectionately calling attention to something that you like about them and they like about themselves and it's like this really nice little thing but she was like absolutely not it's always aggressive. So I was just, I don't know. I thought that was interesting, but it feels like the same thing where it's like maybe a friend who is like insisting on pushing you and saying like, Oh no, no, this is, you know, this isn't what you, you're talking about. This isn't a spoiler because mm-hmm. they want to like connect with you or something they're, They want to like talk about this thing with you. So it's like not necessarily coming from a bad place, but they're just not hearing fully that you really, you know what I mean? Like they're well, just I- blocking it out. And I do
1: think it's hard to understand the extent of my uh, fear of spoilers. Mm -hmm. But it's also that I think people have trouble imagining that other people experience things so differently than they do sure. so i yeah. think that people are you know certainly think oh well this isn't a spoiler because it wouldn't be a spoiler to me so they right. think this is harmless yes. because this would be harmless to me and so i think it's really it's it's really hard for us to understand mm-hmm. how somebody else might receive something so differently uh, yeah. than we would
0: yeah yeah and even when you can finally like maybe sometimes it takes a few times with Mm -hmm. somebody before they can finally hear it even then the next step of actually like not judging it is you know what i mean it's like Mm -hmm. um like even in a marriage you know it's like there's stuff that i know about scott that's like radically different for me and i will honor it and i will but i still sometimes secretly think like ugh this thing you know you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like there's a sometimes a little not with everything but I think there's a few Mm -hmm. things where I'm just like I'm never gonna get that fully so I'm Mm going it's so I'm I'm going to respect it and honor it but I still feel slightly frustrated by it or whatever you know there's not that many things I think there are a lot Mm -hmm. of things we wouldn't have a very good relationship but like there's a few things right and I know that there are things like that for for me that drive him crazy but he'll still pretend to be okay with it yeah (laughs) (laughs) For the sake of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's like one of our big challenges as human beings in relationships, right? Is to like actually really, as much as we possibly can, honor and understand another person who's having a very different internal experience than we are. It's really Mm -hmm. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I get wow, once again we've talked and talked and talked and talked. It's <laughs> it's kind of time to wrap things up and I didn't get to ask you any of the standard writing questions about like what you liked and didn't like. Um so maybe I'll just end things with a kind of open-ended question if there's anything else you wanted to talk about about this essay, either things you would want to do differently or things you particularly liked about it or any what what kind of last thoughts do you have for us? Sure. I mean, it's interesting because it takes me back to a moment,
1: you know, yeah. uh, reading it. And I don't know that there's anything I would have changed at that time or or even that I'd necessarily change now. I do, I like the fact that there's a twist in it and you don't know that at the beginning. And mm-hmm. so, um, and the, you know, so I, I like the whole way that the theme about spoilers kind of gets shifted at the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I, it wouldn't I, mm. have worked if you'd spoiled it at the beginning. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're exactly. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. And in fact, you know
1: I don't want people to know before they hear it that it's mm-hmm. a story about my mom. Right. Because then that, like, I feel like that would bring people's focus to, like, when I start talking about my mother, oh, this is right. all about her mother. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's important for it not – so I'll have to think about this as we put out little promos and stuff about it, you know, sort of how to talk about this. Because I, there was actually a radio program that was interviewing those of us who were doing these speaking of stories things at the beginning of the mm. pandemic. And mm-hmm. so – I felt like there was a
0: little bit of stuff in the way people were talking about it. I was like, no,
1: no, no, don't say that about it. So, yeah. yeah, Yeah.
0: Interesting. Very meta. We'll have to make sure not to spoil this one. Um, Mm -hmm. And also make sure somehow not to spoil Buffy the Vampire Slayer either. (laughs) Because that seems equally important. (laughs) Or the Marvel Comic Universe. (laughs) Or the Marvel Comic Universe, right? Like, so now people know that something big happens in the last episode of Buffy. Even knowing that might be too much. (laughs) My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Tanya. And we will see you all next time on Dr. Waffle and Friends. Listeners, if you liked what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and share so more folks can find us. You can follow us on social media at Doctor DrWafflePod. That's D-R-WafflePod, all one word. Or email us at drwafflepod at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for websites and other info.